0: Welcome to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paula Fontanelli. Since her father's suicide in 2005, Paula has dedicated her life to breaking the silence around this most stigmatized of subjects. Her book, Understanding Suicide: Living with Loss, Paths to Prevention, was nominated for the National Book Award in Brazil, and the English edition is now available on Amazon. Hello, welcome to my podcast. Thank you for being here with me again. Today, I have another guest from the Stability Network, which makes me very, very happy. The Stability Network, for those who haven't listened to my previous uh, episode, is an initiative that was brought about around 2011. And what they do is they have all these leaders, they are trained to be public speakers and they talk about mental health openly and honestly about their struggles, their treatment, the stigma that surrounds mental illness. Some of them share their suicidal thoughts and ideation. Some of them share which I just, I interviewed And I've already posted uh, the episode. Some of them struggled themselves with loss by suicide. So I'm very happy to have with us today Ted Wise, and he told me I was asking him how do I say your last name, and he goes. Rhymes with nice. Okay, <laughs> that's not easy for oh, me no. to remember. <laughs> so Ted, thank you so much for being here with us. And Ted is going to talk about. And it really amazed me to, uh, you send because I usually ask ask my guests to send like a page of their story just so I have some background and of course it helps prepare for the interview. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me about his struggle with mental illness. And I was amazed just to read, this was like 50 years ago. So you have seen mental illness evolve. I don't know if that's the right name for that, but at least the stigma is not as as prominent as it used to be for sure. But you started struggling in your, was it, were you in your twenties? Twenty eight
1: was twenty eight was when I had my first episode.
0: Yeah, but this was a long time ago. Because Ted, just so you know, Ted is seventy six years old. So this was when, in a time when it, we can't even talk about stigma, it's not just stigma, but very little was known, known about mental illness, wasn't it? So tell tell me a little bit about your experience back then when you started. And any, it seems like you were aware. Then, that there was something there to be treated.
1: Yes, well, it was a real shock because uh, I had finished law school uh, three years earlier and was working with a, uh, a very good law firm here in Houston, uh, learning to be a trial lawyer, which was my goal and really enjoying everything that I was doing in terms of work and life generally. and. Uh, all of a sudden uh, it actually resulted from a broken engagement uh, over a period of weeks. I just found myself emotionally going down, down, down. I couldn't figure out, you know, what was happening. I said, you know, I've had broken engage- broken, not broken engagements, but broken relationships before. And, uh, you know, never affected me like this. And, uh, So eventually, I got to the point that I call rock bottom, just uh, totally depressed, totally in despair, feeling, uh, you know, nothing was going to get better and became suicidal in terms of, you know, thoughts and feelings. And it was very uh, different from, you know, the way that I normally thought of myself being. And fortunately, I... uh, reached out for help, and I ended up uh, hospitalized. And as you were saying earlier, the, you know, the number of medications that were available at that time, which was 1973, were much fewer than they are today. And it took some experimenting. But eventually I found a medication that, uh, as I said, brought me out of the dark hole. And mm-hmm. uh, it was sort of, I, I use the expression like a fog <clears throat> lifting. The fog would just was would gradually mm-hmm. lift, and then over a period of weeks or months, uh, I got back to basically where I was before it started. I'm sure it was a very, ambition.
0: very scary. It sounds a very like a very scary. Because you you were saying I was doing well. I was in law, finished finished law school. <clears throat> you were working for for a firm that you believed in, and you were happy. And these are the questions you have. You, you had that at the time. So why? I mean, this is just, it's, that's that's how we think, right? This is just a relationship, right? So why am I feeling this? Yeah, the mistake, was very scary.
1: Yeah, well, as I tell people, uh, I actually went through two other uh, episodes similar to this in terms of, you know, being very severe uh, <laughs> downturn, suicidal <clears throat> thoughts and feelings, hospitalization. But, in both of the all three of those instances, I refused therapy, which was a huge mistake. but really? at the third time, pardon yes, and you know I had all the stereotypes about uh you know psychiatrists, and you know they couldn't help me and so uh, but, as I say, looking back it was it was clearly a mistake because after the third episode, I got into uh therapy for very you know intense therapy for seven or eight years which enabled me to identify the psychological triggers that were causing these downward spirals. Uh, obviously, I had the uh, the genetic predisposition, the moment, I believe, yeah. in terms of brain chemistry, but it was really these psychological factors, uh, mainly dealing with authority figures and needing approval from, uh, yeah. you know, authority figures that when i didn't get that approval because i was very driven and you know trying to uh, accomplish uh, what my goals were and when that didn't happen uh as i learned i didn't have what i call emotional independence uh where you know we'd say we have children when they when they get to the end of high school and they're getting ready to leave home we'd like for them to be in a position where whatever happens in their lives and we know everybody's gonna have setbacks that they can handle it. You know, I just, as I learned uh, in the therapy, I just was not prepared for that. You know, I hadn't really had setbacks before this uh, first episode, but you know, I, I, I definitely needed to understand what it meant to feel good about yourself, independent of what other people are saying about you or thinking about you.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, the position that you put yourself in. You're saying that you needed approval. Of course, back then you didn't know. But then you choose this very high stress. You wanted to be a court lawyer. Mm -hmm. So you really raised the bar, too. So you put yourself in a position that um, I don't want to fail, but my goodness, not to fail in that position and in that uh, profession, it's, it's quite hard, isn't it? Because this is something that takes a lot from you.
1: Very, uh, you know, it's a very stressful uh, profession. And I mean, I continued on in that profession, my my career at this large law firm, uh, eventually, basically ended because of the series of episodes of major depression. And uh, after that, I practiced primarily by on my own which was psychologically much better for me because i didn't have any authority figures to you know approve my work or my practice but uh it it was uh, an adjustment but i liked the work and uh but you're right i mean it, it it's hard to imagine at least in my view a more stressful profession and that's as you, as you know, I'm sure stress is not uh, a good thing for people who are dealing with mental health challenges. And so from that standpoint, but I think as time went by and I, you know, I had more experience and you know, the, the stress level declined some and uh, more than anything, it was just understanding what these, you know, these psychological factors were uh, mm-hmm. that you know, would cause me to, uh, to go into the downward spiral.
0: Uh-huh. Tell me about your experience. And you mentioned that it you actually ended up leaving the firm because of these episodes. What are they understanding then? Because you know, as I mentioned before, this was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, I was with the firm. I mean, I've been there three years when I had this first episode, and I stayed for, I mean, I was there for 21 years mm-hmm. and became a partner. I mean, I, I really can't say enough about the firm, the people who knew about mm-hmm. what had happened to me, they were very responsive. Of course, it wasn't a period of time when when people really understood, you know, what was happening to me. But they they were supportive. Uh, you know, I would be gone for two or three months in terms really? of
0: recovery that long. Yeah. Okay, and
1: and and people would cover for me in terms of my work. So I was fortunate, really, to be in a large law firm. where there were people who could step in and they were willing to do that. But eventually what really happened was that I reached a level of seniority where I needed to be in charge of major, you know, major pieces of litigation. Well, the firm knew my history. And if they put me in that position and I had a mental health challenge, you know, similar to what had happened and... The client learned later about all this and, you know, they found that the firm had known about it, it could be a serious problem for the law firm. So there really just wasn't a future for me there, you know, after these three episodes. And, uh, but, you know, as I said, they treated me extremely well, I I had absolutely no, uh, nothing negative to say about the firm at all. And, and when I did move on, as I said, and got into practicing independently, I didn't even realize at first, how much better it would be for me psychologically, mm-hmm. but essentially being my own boss. And, uh, you know, I mean, if I it gives you freedom,
0: me, right? It gives you a lot yes. of freedom. Yeah. Psychologically,
1: yeah. it was just completely different. And you know, had its own share of challenges uh, in terms of developing business and, you know, managing uh, my small business. But mm-hmm. but nevertheless, it was much better for me in terms of my mental health uh, situation.
0: Yeah. What about relationships? You're talking about your uh, profession, but how did how did these episodes or the mental illness affect your relationships? Did you feel that you could talk to someone? Did you have friends to talk to?
1: No, and and you raise a very interesting point, because uh, I learned in therapy that I I tell people what I learned in therapy was I lived the first half of my life, which was about 45 years before I got into therapy, in the world of accomplishment. You know, I, I wanted to accomplish things, I wanted to succeed, I was nice to people because I wanted them to like me, I was a people pleaser, but I really didn't have uh, close relationships. And part of that is that, you know, I, as I've learned since, uh, the therapy, you know, you have to commit time to relationships in order to really have strong relationships. And, you know, for me as intense as I was about success, it was like, well, I don't want to spend a two hour lunch with somebody, you know, I got to get back to the office and, and, you know, get the work done. Uh, and that's how I'm going to get ahead. But uh, I learned, and as I said, I learned in therapy about the world of relationships. And so since that time, I think I have, uh, well, I know I have lived differently in terms of putting a priority on really good relationships, you know, some within my family, but uh, also outside the family. And again, you know, uh, the mental health part of it you know, has been useful in the sense that I have relationships with people who have a history of mental health problems, but a lot of people who don't. And so relationships have become much more important to me. But back when all this was happening, which was your initial question, I really didn't have anybody that I, you know, that I could talk to. My wife, of course, knew about the situation. It was very uh, traumatic for her because, you know, we had children at that time and and you know eventually had four children and all of that was very difficult for her in terms of managing the family when i had these problems but as far as you know a uh, a friend who could be a confidant or anything like that no i didn't and and frankly that you know there was a feeling of loneliness i mean i lived for 32 years under the stigma of you know guilt and shame and loneliness, not wanting people to know about my history. And, uh, and it was only as I mentioned in my uh, report to you before the session here that I at age 60 that I decided to go public. And uh, that was a complete change when Mm -hmm. I uh, opened Mm -hmm. up about my history and no longer had any hesitation to uh, talk to people about my mental health mm-hmm. problems. I
0: want to, I want to go back a little bit. I, mm-hmm. Of course, I want to touch on this, I mean, opening up and the importance of talking about it, but mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about the therapy process. Was it scary for you at first? Uh,
1: no, I wouldn't say scary. Uh, it was, you know, it was sort of frustrating because, mm-hmm. and I had a outstanding uh, psychodynamic therapist to, uh, Actually, is a psychiatrist. He's retired now, but you know uh, that was pretty unusual in those days to have a psychiatrist who you know was handling my medication but also conducting the therapy, which I think was a big, a big advantage. But uh, literally, I had to learn to recognize my feelings. I mean, wow. you know, I, I tell people, uh, you know, they. I literally, when he started to, well, how, how, what are you, how are you feeling? And I'd say, well, I'm hot or I'm cold. And he said, no, 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 I'm talking about inside, you know? So, I mean, I had hot and cold were emotions. Right, 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 right. I mean, I had, uh, you know, I had stuffed my feelings. Uh, There was
0: no language there, right? There was no language for that. Right,
1: right. So it took a long time. And, you know, I was, you know, my attitude was kind of, well, tell me what the problem is. Tell me what I need to do. I'll do it and, you know, everything will be fine. But, you know, that's, as you know, as a professional in this area, that's not the way it works. And so it, you know, I finally became more patient, was willing to, you know, work through. And again, uh, my whole family history, my life history, my religious upbringing, my school experiences, you know, really just kind of learning to understand who I really was and realizing that, frankly, a lot of the the things I thought I knew or understood about my childhood, my growing up, were just not, were not true. And uh, so, you know, once I learned more about who I am and about, you know, what influences were, Working on me, you know, during my uh, growing up years, and and even even after I became an adult, uh, in college and and law school, and you know, it uh, it was eye it was really eye opening, and uh, mm-hmm. and I and I say that you know I think uh, I think this uh, doctor may well have saved my life. He certainly uh, you know certainly came.
0: transformed
1: it, helped you transform it, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> If you want more information about suicide, my book is now available on Amazon, both in paperback and digital formats. Just type in the title Understanding Suicide or My Name Paula Fontanelli. The book was written for people like you and it's the result of more than 10 years of conversations with families who lost loved ones to suicide, individuals who attempted suicide, specialists and mental health professionals. Thank you for your support. Now back to the interview. Yeah, yeah, it's so important that you mention this, Chad, because so many times, and, and I see, of course, sometimes in, in my own clients, someone will come to you and they want answers, immediate answers, mm-hmm. and they don't want to spend much time. They want to know when it's going to end, right? And, and, and many times they want medication because it's faster, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it does take time. Therapy is a long-term process. Many times, it's, it depends. Of course, it depends on what brings you to therapy. But in your case, I mean, you had to rediscover yourself, right?
1: Exactly. I would say it's the uh, the most valuable experience that I've ever had in terms of self knowledge and you know sort of getting to know who i really am as opposed to who i was trying to be i had a father who was a trial lawyer and you know he very much wanted me to do what he had done and so uh, i certainly considered other things but i eventually decided to do that and in many ways i was trying to be the kind of trial lawyer he was, he was very aggressive, very, uh, you know, very domineering personality and that kind of thing. And that just wasn't me. And I use that as one example of where, you know, I was trying to be somebody that I'm not. So I, I really uh, learned who I am. And so, you know, I could, I could adjust my uh, approach to life uh, Mm -hmm. to be more compatible with you know, m- who I am rather than who I'm trying to be.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned also that you, you found wh- what your triggers were. Can you ta- t- tell me a little bit about those? Sure. Triggers well, and your coping mechanisms. So how did you cope with
1: these triggers? Well, the, the, the main trigger, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, was this need for approval uh, mm-hmm. from authority figures. And this goes back, starting with my father, and then I was uh, in the Catholic Church. I mean, my parents were very uh you know very de- devout Catholics, so I went to Catholic elementary school, Catholic high school, and you know there I treated the priests and the nuns like you know they were gods, almost mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of you know doing what they told me, couldn't question anything. and so uh throughout this, you know I had this dependence. On authority figures uh, for approval, and again during those times, fortunately, I guess in some sense, I was achieving, I was doing well in schools, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting disapproval. Uh, but the, the the incidences that caused those first three serious depressions would would strike most people as being trivial. Uh, the broken engagement, well. Anything that I perceived as a rejection, uh, you know, would would I learned you know at the time. Of course, I had no idea what, as I said, what was going on. But you know, with the benefit of therapy, I could see that, you know, while I mean, she even said, "Look, it's not you; it's you know, the lifestyle that I'd, I'd live if I were married to a lawyer at a big law firm." Be that as it may, you know, it affected me. And then what happened in the later episodes? By that time I had become a partner at the law firm and decisions are made annually about how much increase each partner will get in their, you know, shares of ownership in the firm. The first year that my percentage was not as high as somebody else in my class, uh, you know, again, I was treating these people who were the management committee of the law firm. That's like six people, these were my law partners. But I was treating them like they were my parents, you know. And so they were telling me, well, you're not really doing that well. You're not doing as well as one of your peers. You know, believe it or not, given my, you know, my uh, psychological makeup at that time uh, was enough to to trigger, you know, these serious depressions. And that's really what happened in both of the uh, the later depressions. I mean, my 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 history I've learned is really sort of unusual in the sense that these episodes were like seven years apart. Uh, and between that time, after I got the medication and of course rejected therapy, I was off medication and asymptomatic. And then, you know, then The The rejection
0: would come again, Yeah, Mm -hmm. some kind Mm -hmm. of rejection. So here is someone who is always seeking approval from authoritative uh, figures Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, your father, so you always want to be good enough. Mm -hmm. And when they gave you a grade C or a grade B, Mm -hmm. you just perceived it as okay, I'm right, I am not good enough. So that's what triggered your depression. Makes yeah, i sense. mean in the
1: in the world I was operating in, you know I was making a lot of money, I was you know my certainly it was not a matter of supporting my family or anything like that, but it was just this perception I had because I was so driven to succeed, and as you say, I had not developed the relationships with people that I think could have supported me. I mean for one thing I was not willing to be vulnerable and you know I I wasn't about to and I mean in general I wasn't going to talk about anything negative about myself well you can't really be a friend at least in my view uh, a really good friend of someone you know without being willing to be vulnerable and so you know I I just didn't have a support system I guess you'd say you know, beyond my fam- my family, my immediate family, you know, my parents cared about me. I know that, but, you know, they didn't really understand. And I think it was scary to them as well. And uh, so I just, you know, I'm not blaming anybody for that, but I'm just saying that, you know, because of my personality, because of my uh, inability or unwillingness to devote time to mm-hmm. developing relationships. I didn't have anybody that I could call on.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I'm just thinking how you talked about your father and of course you kind of mirrored your father in a way mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering about the 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 makeup of the whole family. So maybe you were the one who broke the cycle of the family, right?
1: I I definitely am the one and uh my I have one older sister. You know, my parents Clearly, I mean in their generation at least, they had very different expectations for their son as opposed to their daughter. but you know my my sister did basically you know what they expected. she married well and had children and the family and that sort of thing. and of course, for me it was you know to get out in the world and be a success. But once I had these uh, you know these episodes, and realized that, you know, I was trying to be somebody that I, uh, was not. And frankly, seeing my career, you know, not going where I expected it to go in terms of success. And so, you know, all of these things really caused me to be, you know, I mean, my parents still cared for me. It wasn't that, but I was clearly different, you know, I mean, they were, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and frankly, it had to do with religion as well. I mean, eventually I came to the point where I decided that I was going to leave the Catholic church, uh, which was, it fit with, and this was right around the time that I was leaving the law firm because the, the issue I had was authoritarianism. And by that, I mean, while most Catholics, certainly in the United States, and I was one of those, may disagree with you know, certain teachings of the church, they still say, "Well, I'm I'm still Catholic," but I, I I realized that as far as Rome was concerned, that was just not acceptable. That you know mm-hmm. you were expected to follow the teachings and support the teachings, and you know basically you were not free to think for yourself. Mm-hmm. And and so you know in terms of this religious organization, at least officially, and mm-hmm. and I just said I'm not comfortable. And that was a big, that was a big uh, positive. You know, I ended up, my my wife is a lifelong Methodist. The Methodist church is kind of the polar opposite in the sense that, you know, you're expected to study and join groups and, you know, decide for yourself. Debate. What yeah. you believe, you know, what you believe. And so again, but, you know, my parents, I mean, I, I went to their house and told them, you know, must have been hard for them. huh? Very hard. And yeah. they never said a word about it afterwards. And I, I didn't pursue the subject or anything, but I'm, but your point about, you know, yes, I was the, uh, I don't, I don't think of it as black sheep, but I was the one that sort of broke out of the mold. I mean, uh-huh. cause this was a, this was a tight knit family, dedicated uh, Catholics. And I mean, for me to leave the church was just, you know, Unthinkable! I'm sure, unheard of, unheard of. You know, it it couldn't happen. You know, but again, I'm I'm convinced that all of these things were important steps uh, toward uh, reaching mental health. And uh, because I was at that point, uh, I was being myself, and you know, I'm 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 much more comfortable in an environment where, like you say, you know, you can. You can debate, you can argue, you can, you know, respect other people's positions, but not feel like somebody is imposing on you mm-hmm. certain things that, you know, you must you must accept, whether that's politically or, you know, in in religion or mm-hmm. education or anything else. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I just want to have the freedom uh, to be myself.
0: Yeah, it, tell me, uh, how did it affect Because I, I can see maybe the opposite happening within your own family, your, your mm-hmm. kids and your wife. How did they pre- perceive all the changes that you went through?
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, frankly, there's been a lot of sort of uh, ignoring, I guess you'd say. I mean, it really troubled me because particularly the third episode occurred at a time that was very uh, significant age wise, for my three older children, my last child was too young. But the point is, I knew it was going to have an impact on them. I mean, for to have their father in the psychiatric ward of a hospital, you know, locked up, and they have to come to visit, you know, and all that sort of thing. And I've certainly talked to them, but never that much about this issue. The main thing I've talked to them about is just warning them that if they ever have any feelings of severe depression or whatever you know reach out for help you know whoever whoever it is that you know you are comfortable but don't don't ignore the problem but but frankly i've changed but i don't think people in my family even necessarily rec- recognize you know really, that, yeah and huh. uh and and maybe it's a reflection of uh you know I'm not even sure my wife. You know, uh, it. It the whole experience. I'm not uh, necessarily criticizing judgment, her. Yeah. It was so traumatic. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and obviously she had fear in terms of the financial uh, situation uh, of supporting the children and all that. When I went through these episodes, mm-hmm. and uh, I, th- I mean, she's actually had professional training. You know, I'm just not sure. We've. You know, we've talked about. Some of these things, but usually it just creates a lot of turmoil for her, and uh, yeah,
0: maybe so, it's triggering for her.
1: Yeah. So, and and again, with my with my children, of course, they're all grown now. My sense is when I raise the subject, they just don't want to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and and talk about well, well, the kind of conversation I'm having with you. Uh, yeah. That's different. You're professional and so forth, but unfortunately have not been able to uh to to have those conversations i think they understand at some level uh i mean i think they they have to observed particularly oh, as i've gotten involved in, in these mental health uh, organizations and uh-huh. you know spending time with that uh, i think they they recognize and i mean i'll send them a copy of of what we're producing yeah
0: that, that's what I was thinking as I hope this podcast opens that door a little bit more right yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. I had an interview on our on our blog on the uh, stability network uh, mm-hmm. website that I sent them uh, although you know my daughter-in-law responded uh but not not my sons or my my daughter so anyway well,
0: we all have our own time right mm-hmm. it's right. it's i'm sure it's a healing process for the whole family
1: yep. and
0: you know they they will come at their own time let me just ask you to end how was it you told me that at 60 you decided to come out and, and talk about it and participate in these initiatives how was that for you to come because it's different going through these changes internally and going to therapy and knowing that you're being transformed but mm-hmm. it's a not it's Totally different when you open up to the public, and as you as you said, that's that's when your friends know about it. That's when your family knows about it. So mm-hmm. ha- has that been helpful too for you?
1: Extraordinarily helpful. And uh, what what happened very briefly is that I was at a luncheon, and uh, one of the speakers was a man who had been very successful in the corporate world here in Houston, been you know CEO of two large energy companies. And he was telling his story about having experienced severe depression and and uh, eventually recovering. But to his credit, he had decided to, you know, go out and talk before audience, public audiences, telling his story and encouraging people to get help and also encouraging people in the corporate world to provide better mental health uh, services for their employees. So I was sitting there and I said, you know, I've just turned 60. My children are, you know, pretty well grown now. So if it affects my prac my law practice, you know, in a negative way, as far as uh, income, it's not as serious as it would have been, you know, when I was 30 or 40. So I just, I'm going to go public with my story. Uh, as I said, I don't think I realized until a while later how liberating it yeah. would be to not have to, you know, keep everything secret. And frankly, I say today when I give my talks that I refuse to feel guilt and shame. Good, good for you. I had had an illness, you know, just like other Mm -hmm. illnesses. It's treatable, it's manageable. And, uh, but, but that was a, you know, that was a complete change, the attitude that I'd had for 32 years before that. And also getting involved. I I, I mentioned this support group that I was uh, the volunteer facilitator for eight years. I mean, anything that I've done by way of giving back, because that was one of my goals when I went public, uh, fight the stigma and try to give back. And all of that has been very therapeutic. But I don't tell young people, you know, to, well, just, you know, walk into your boss's office and say, look, I've got this. Problem with depression. I need some time off. I mean, it's it's risky, and uh, I wish we were in a world now where you know all, everybody understood, and you know certainly some employers. And I think the point you made earlier. I think things have changed. They have. I'm sure uh, you've seen a huge change it's from been... 1973. But I, mm. I still, you know, and even in the legal world, because I I give talks in law firms now who are. You know, wanting somebody like me to come in and tell sure. their stories so that young lawyers will be encouraged to get help and that. So the culture is definitely changing, but you know, I think there's still a way a way to go. And I think a lot of it has to do with education. I think you know, the more people are willing to uh learn about these illnesses, uh mm-hmm. less prejudice yeah. and discrimination.
0: You know, I I used to believe that, that, I mean, education is important, but one of the uh, specialists that I interviewed a while ago, he told me that all the research shows that education is important, but nothing beats lived experience. Mm. So that's what research says, that education is nothing if you don't hear it from someone who's been through it. If you Mm -hmm. don't, If you don't hear it from you, from you, Ted, that Mm -hmm. you came here, you're on my podcast and you're talking about your struggles and and everything, all the transformation that your life went through internally and also externally. So I thank you for doing this work and I hope you continue doing it. Mm -hmm. And I hope you're you send this to your sons (laughs) and, and they call you back, say, okay, Dad, let's go have coffee. <laughs>
1: right, right. <laughs> uh, you're encouraging me. I might even be more assertive and say, "Did you watch the video?" You know. Uh, yes,
0: then, yes. Don't wait. Just it? ask them. Ask them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I hope you. What are their names?
1: uh David and Jim.
0: Okay, and David and, and Jim. They're
1: actually three. They're three. Oh, three of so them. So
0: David, Jim, and. And John. And John. David, Jim, and John. Mm-hmm. I hope that uh, I know it's hard. I know it's family, it's your dad, it's the dad that you love. Mm-hmm. This is a very tough, tough topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. And but I but I hope you you call him, guys, sit down and this opens up this dialogue within your family. That would be mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, right. thank you for coming and thank, thank you for you. participating.
1: All right. Thank you very much.
0: And I hope everything is fine in Texas now.
1: We're getting back on our feet slowly. Oh my you've been listening to Understand Suicide, there, the so podcast of journalists and therapists. Mm-hmm. Getting
0: Fontenet. back to normal, right?
1: If you've yeah, been touched yeah. by suicide and, and believe uh, Brett, your story, we have a president who is going Please to be coming tomorrow to use So we're oh, really? okay. him and sort of showing him some of the things that, you know. Yeah. interested in seeing
0: well i'm sure that by the time i post this it's going to take a few weeks everything will be fine and yeah thank you thank you for being with us dad
1: have a good day all right bye bye